continuing on with a teaching series, Acts and the Movement of God, uh, where we're looking at the continued ministry of Jesus through the life of the early church in the book of Acts. Uh, and we think it'll be instructive and informative for us uh, uh, as, a, as a local church here in Ototahi. And I've got to confess, friends, this morning... Um, I think we'll be more of a Bible study than a preach. It's been a big week, <laughs> and, um, and we just got back this morning from our national conference up in Auckland the last couple of days, uh, where it was you know good time reconnecting with uh, the wider Wesleyan Fano up there, and uh, we, we, we traveled back this morning, so I had less time to prepare, um, which means there's no slides for you, friends. So um, you'll have to open your own Bibles and read along because we're going to be hanging out in quite a bit of the scriptures this morning. Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5. We're kind of going to skip our way through three chapters of Acts this morning, a little bit Bible study styles. Um, It'll be a half Bible study, half preach. I couldn't help myself in the first service, so um, it'll probably happen again in this one. Is that all right? Um, Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you uh, for your word um, that you always have something to speak to us and for us. And so we take a moment now and just pause to open our hearts and our minds to receive from you anew and afresh. Lord, we recognize your word is alive. It's living, it's active, and may it be so among us this morning. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would be found to be good soil where the seed of your word could be planted and would take root and would grow up to bear kingdom harvest in our lives and in the lives of others. So Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we all said together, amen, amen. So it was in December 2009 that I received a phone call that significantly changed our lives. You ever received one of those phone calls? It was December 2009. I was partway, I was h- halfway through uh, my Master of Divinity, uh, you know, seminary degree. Um, we were living out on the East Coast in New Jersey of the US, uh, USA, and um, I received this phone call. I can still picture where I was, and I was pacing up and down the footpath on the phone with a guy named Mark Gourvet. And Mark, uh, turns out, had just come back from a visit here to New Zealand where the national leaders of the Wesleyan Church had brought him down to Christchurch and talked about, oh, the dream of planting a church one day in Christchurch that would be a life-giving church for the city of Ototahi Christchurch, but also one that would help reach, uh, not just reach people here in Christchurch, but one that would help resource and send and plant other churches. Um, and, and basically they said, we're looking for someone to help lead a church like that. Would you and Jamie consider it? Now, a little bit of the backstory is, um, and I think part of the reason why that phone call is so memorable for me is that it came totally out of the blue, completely unexpected. New Zealand was not on the radar for us at all. I was only halfway through my study program. You know, I still had had quite a ways to go. Um, And so it felt really out of place. But the main reason why it was so remarkable, I think, is because if I'm honest, even though I was studying... I was serving as part-time, you know, in a church. I was, you know, in ministry, actively serving God. If I'm honest, my faith and my belief and hope in the church had really stalled and stagnated. You know what I mean by that? Just kind of waned and was just kind of pretty flat. And this was the first time in a number of years where 
something came alive in my heart and in my spirit and in my soul. And it wasn't my own doing. It was, I think, uh, when I look back on it now, I can go, that was the work of God. And, and it was one of those, and, and like it's burned in my memory such that I can, I can picture the, 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 the apartments, you know, the student flats that we were living in, they're no longer there, they've like all been knocked down, but I can still vividly picture just pacing up and down this footpath on this phone call and something coming alive like a burning in my bones. Like, man, I need to pay attention to this. There's something to this. Well, fast forward, you know, cut a long story short. Um, that's what led us to a discernment journey that led us eventually to come and plant a church here in Christchurch that a number of others, a number of you in this room jumped in and trusted God on this huge faith journey that has been now over 10 years in the making. And we believe God's got more in the making. Uh, And I share that at the beginning of this little Bible study session, because that's what we're doing this morning, right? Around uh, why it's, um, and, and, and just to be clear, like I'm saying that to relieve myself of my own pressure on my, that I put on myself, you know, just, just to, to be fully transparent, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, the, the reason I share that is because that's part of the DNA and the heart behind the kind of church that God had always called us to plant and to be about. And, and, it, and, it's, and it's not shifted, it's not changed, and it will remain as long as, uh, as, long as the Lord would continue to bless us. So let's, let's take a look in Acts chapter 3. And as we look in Acts chapter 3, the question that I want you to be asking as we journey through uh, the scriptures this morning is, what is Luke's intent? What is Luke, the writer of Acts, trying to get us to pay attention to over these chapters? Luke is known of all the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the one who's known as being the most orderly and in order. The one who kind of, his account of the gospel is the most like well-structured and thought out and planned out and put together. Same with Acts, right? So when we come to read Luke or Acts, we can come assuming, well, any biblical writer, you can come assuming this special intent. But particularly for Luke, it's logically and intentionally put together in such a way that, uh, and so, so it's a really good question. Anytime we come to reading the scriptures that we ask, what was the author's original intent? But particularly when reading Luke Acts, when reading the author Luke, um, around what is he trying to convey to us and say to us through this? So that's the big question that I'd hang over um, our little Bible study together this morning as we dive in. Luke chapter 3 verse 1. This is, again, remember this is right on the heels of the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And if you missed last week's teaching, I encourage you to go have a listen to that on the podcast. You know, you can listen online, website, podcast, you'll find it. Um, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. That's three in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he sat, uh, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention. Then I love this line, expecting to get something from them. Don't you love that Luke includes that in there? I'm just making sure it's not my phone. (laughs) Uh, So so let's, uh, and then... um, so, so he's looked at them, expecting to get something from them. I love that Luke includes that detail there. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were filled with what? They were filled with wonder and amazement. And if you were here last week, you'll recognize that's a bit of a common theme for Luke. That's the same response we saw when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and people started speaking in other languages and it said everyone was amazed. Remember that? Perplexed. They were astonished. You know, this is something remarkable, amazing is going on. Same deal here. This powerful demonstration of the power of God at work here in this situation. And I love that the guy looks up at him, uh, at Peter and John, like expecting to get something. And then he gets something way beyond what he could have ever imagined or asked for, right? Like, that's incredible. I love that, you know, there's that expectancy and then God goes above and beyond and just reveals the heart of God. Isn't that beautiful? Um, and so then Peter goes, okay, so, so now all of a sudden there's a, bit of a, there's a bit of a coup, right? They're in the temple where everyone gathers. This is full-blown public public space and everyone's all together and Peter stands up and he starts to preach and he starts to address this is this is like Peter's second sermon remember there's five Peter preaches five sermons in the book of Acts uh, this is his second one and he basically straight from the outset he goes let's be really really clear folks John didn't do this I know John he's not up to that he's like I didn't do this I know I'm not up to that Jesus did this let's be really really clear he gives full credit to Jesus and by doing so he's living into his calling and his vocation remember Acts 1 8 says Jesus says receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses my what my witnesses just making sure you're all awake and staying with me uh, in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the end of the earth he's being a witness he's saying I didn't do this you know I can't, I can't heal you. That's not my power. That's not my abilities. Like, I can't heal. Jesus is the one who's healed you. Let's be really clear. Gives full credit to Jesus. Um, and, then, and then he goes on to talk about, you know, even though you acted in your ignorance, um, verse, uh, he, he basically preaches the gospel here. And we see a similar pattern that we talked about last week. Whenever Peter preaches the gospel in Acts, he does five things. And we see these five things show up slightly different orders each time, but they're usually all there. Remember, he, first he calls people to repentance, which is to turn to God. Basically, turn away from the world, turn away from sin, turn away from your own ambition, your own agendas, your own, you know, turn, turn from those things and turn fully to God, complete surrender to God. Receive forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Receive the forgiveness of sins. That's the salvation call, right? And you will be saved, he says. He's, and then he says, be baptized. Get baptized in water. He says, receive the filling of the Holy Spirit and then be formed into a faith community, a church community. And we actually see the word church show up for the first time in just, in just a little while. Uh, it's the first time it shows up in, in the New Testament. And, and those five things we see show up in Peter's sermons over and over and over again. And we see it here. He says, verse 19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be forgiven or your sins may be wiped out. And then I love this line, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And maybe, church, maybe for some of you this morning, 
That's what you're here for. You came just to hear that, that the heart of God is for you. He sees you. He knows the situation. And if you turn to Him and find times of refreshing come from the Lord, and I pray and bless that over you and your life and your situation right now, may that be so in Jesus' name. He goes on, continues preaching the gospel, and that upsets some people. Start of verse, uh, chapter 4. The temple priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were still speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, that's something the Sadducees weren't fans of. Um, so they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, basically it's too late in the day for us to call an assembly, so we're just going to hold you in jail overnight. And so that's what they do. They throw him in jail, put him in jail. Um, but get this, verse 4. But many who heard the message that Peter had just finished preaching believed, meaning in faith received forgiveness of their sins. That's Paul's, uh, not Paul, this is Luke writing this, right? This is Luke's shorthand for faith in Jesus Christ, for salvation. That's Luke's shorthand when he says believed. Um, Many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So Luke's including some important details here for us. The next day, they gather together, they have this showdown, they all say, hey, we don't like this, you're talking about Jesus, you know, and the resurrection of the dead, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, it's, and, and, and why, what, by what power or what name did you do this, this healing that happened that everyone's seeing? Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Important, important note there from Luke. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll find out why that's important in just a second, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, know this, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Bold declaration, right? When they, verse 13, meaning the religious leaders and the elders and those who were putting on this trial, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, wonder, amazed. They were once again astonished. See, this is why it's important to note that they were filled with the Holy Spirit because they were unschooled and ordinary men. They were like, something other than Peter and John is going on here, right? Like Peter and John, we know them. You know, they're not up to this in and of themselves. We know something else is going on. This is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. And boy, is that a loaded phrase. What a beautiful phrase. And friends, this church, this, this should be of deep and great encouragement to each and every one of us. Any of you who have ever felt unprepared, ill-equipped, to be a witness, so did Peter and John, unschooled. 
any of you who felt like you weren't gifted enough, smart enough, intelligent enough, you know, bright enough, uh, you know, have the right platform enough or the right influence enough. No, that's okay. These guys were ordinary. Like me. Like you. Unschooled, ordinary, but had been with Jesus. And the being with Jesus was so profound that it resulted in courage for them to stand up and say, salvation is found in no one else. No one else. And their courage to stand before the leaders and the elders of the day is what caused those leaders and elders to be astonished, amazed, in wonder and in awe. You see it? Friends, the same can be true for you today. By being with Jesus, fully following Him, fully surrendered to Him, willing to go and do whatever He would call you to go and do, living a life. This is, this is why we, we have like a daily prayer rhythm, you know, where every day we're stopping three times a day to be with Jesus. That's why. It's not about legalistic. It's not about what we pray as much. It's more about stopping multiple times throughout the day because we want to be the kind of people who are marked by our presence and attention and life lived in and with Jesus. That we would have the same kind of response when people interact with us. They go, wow, unschooled, ordinary, lives over the fence. You know? I know they're kids. But man, amazed. Look at the courage. Look at the faith. These people know Jesus. Incredible, right? Incredible. And it's possible for each one of us who are followers of Jesus, be with Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like these, this, is, this is available to each and every one of us. And basically they go, hey, we, you, know, they, 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 you, you read down through the rest of the trial and basically they're like, hey, we can't deny this act that's happened. Like everyone knows about it. You see, it, 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 there's, this, there's this interesting verse. He says in verse 16, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. The evidence is stacked against us. What are we going to do? You know, they're between a rock and a hard place. They're trying to figure out how are we going to deal with this. And basically they come in, they, they give them a stern warning, you know, like a little good talking to, and they command them, trying to flex their authority, uh, basically to say, hey, we don't want you to preach in the name of Jesus ever again. But Peter and John replied, <laughs> which is right in God's eyes. Because they're supposed to be following God too, so they appeal to the higher authority, right? Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. (laughs) Wish you you imagine like a mic drop after that, right? Like, but he goes on. He says, "You be the judges." As for as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard, friends. That is one of the best definitions of a witness, isn't it? Think about it. We speak about what we've seen and heard in a court of law in Ototahi today. If you call a witness to the stand, what are you asking them to do? You're asking them to speak about what they have seen or heard, to bear witness. You see it? The same is true when it comes to the gospel. And the same is true in each of our commissioning as as followers of Jesus to be a witness filled with the Holy Spirit is to speak about what we have seen and heard. God doing. 
what we have seen and heard, the resurrected and living Christ doing in and around our lives and in our church, and, and what we have seen and heard the Spirit of God doing in and around our city and in our nation. And we speak about these things we have seen and heard. That's what it is to be a witness. After further threats, they let them go because they couldn't decide how to punish them. I love that. Um, because all the people were praising God. And, 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 then, and, then, and then where do they go? Verse 23. They go to the prayer meeting. It's at 7 a.m. on Tuesday morning. <laughs> and they show up to pray. That's where they go. Because they're people of prayer. They know. And, and I love that this prayer, look at this prayer. This is an astounding prayer, right? They start in. Think about how, how, how you might start in with your prayer time. If, if you know, you'd, I, I, I just like, I hold the mirror up to myself, right? I'm, I'm thinking like, if this was me and I showed up to a prayer meeting right on the heels of this, my prayers would probably begin with, praising God for releasing us, for letting us go, for letting us off the hook, or for dodging a bullet, or, you know, that kind of language, right? Like, like I'd be, I'd, that's probably where my prayers would start. Anyone else? Yeah? Are you with me? Like, uh, thanks, Hannah. I see that hand. Amen. You know, uh, uh, at least one other person. That's good. Um, but they're together in prayer, and instead they go, Sovereign Lord. They don't start with themselves. They start with God. Sovereign Lord. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. So they're reflecting again on their identity in relation to God, the creator, who's sovereign over all and above all, and that perspective of who God is and their identity in him. And then, they, then, they're, then they're drawing richly from Psalm 2, you know, this imagery here of why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain, the kings on earth, you know, again, against the Lord's anointing one that's direct reference in Psalm 2 to Jesus right there you know um, and, and basically they're placing you know so they're people who recognize the sovereignty of God who is above all and in all their identity in God in light of all of that and they're people of the word and the word is shaping their prayers and it's just flowing out of them and then they go indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate these earthly human rulers, political rulers, and they go on to describe how God, we recognize you've limited their power and authority. You've determined where it begins and where it ends. Uh, you know, basically the, the, their whole world is framed by their understanding of who God is. And that shapes who they are and how even earthly kingdoms and, and governments function and all that stuff. And then, and then, think about it. If you've just been released from prison, you've had all these threats and like warnings and all that stuff coming against you, what would you pray at the 7 a.m. prayer meeting on Tuesday morning? God, protect us. Keep us from harm, right? Let's read what they prayed. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Whew. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And that demonstration, the whole place shaking and the Holy Spirit 
coming in power again. That's got to be an affirmation of God saying, yes, you get it. You're praying right in line with the, the, the kingdom of heaven. That's right in line with what God's wanting to see and what God's wanting to do. You're not shrinking back in fear. You're not saying, oh God, would you just protect us and keep us all safe? And No, no, no. You're pressing in and saying, God, you are sovereign over all things. You are the one who is ultimately in power and control and authority and all might and dominion is yours. You determine where it ends for Pilate and for Herod and you determine that stuff and so we just say God make us more bold man when was the last time you prayed like that so they're starting the early church Luke's showing us that the early church is facing some external threats some external pressures and opposition and persecution coming against you see it and then in chapter 5 we see oh there's some internal threats and opposition coming against them as well In chapter 5, we see Ananias and Sapphira and this whole story of them being deceived, allowing the enemy, Satan, to get a foothold, and they do a similar thing to what Judas did in terms of betraying, uh, and and this whole thing, they end up, God takes them out. It's It's a powerful display of God's righteous judgment. Now, it doesn't always make sense to us in the moment. We don't always get it and understand it, but it I think it speaks a warning to those ways in which internally within the church at this very early stage there was a threat posed to the boldness and the courage of the gospel that was potentially going to be corrupted and God says no. No. And He protects His Word. His holy, pure righteous gospel he he acts in power and in might and then we see in verse 12 they go on the apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in solomon's colonnade which was a part of the temple courts you know no one else dared to join them even though they were highly regarded by the people but yet nevertheless the lord added more and more men and women believed in the lord and were added to their number People were brought their sick to the streets and laid them on their beds and mats and so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them. Some of them, as, as he passed by, crowds gathered from towns all around Jerusalem, bringing these people. There's this move of God going. They're, they're like, we want to see healing come. We want to see you know, the power of God flow out. And then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party, it says in verse 17 of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy jealousy why because what God is doing here is God is replacing their authority and their power they've been the leaders of the people of God for quite some time and God's saying no I'm replacing it now and I'm replacing it with these unschooled ordinary men who have been with Jesus who are filled with the Holy Spirit who are witnesses to the greatness and the goodness of God. And, then the Holy, and so they, they basically, they go, they go arrest the apostles, they put them in the jail, but they, get this, verse 19, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors. And I love that this is what God chooses to do. This is like, I think, a moment of humor, like if you understand the context, because the Sadducees didn't believe in angels. And God's like, I'll show you, watch this. You know? sends an angel let him out of jail and he says go stand in the temple courts he says and tell the people all about this new life resurrection power life in Jesus Christ and so at daybreak they entered the temple courts as they had been told 
I love it. No questioning, no humming and heart. Let's pray about this for a minute, you know. Let's just discern for a second, you know. No, they've heard from, they've heard from God. And so as they have been told, straight into the temple courts and began to teach the people. And so when the high priest and they, they go, they go check the, you know, the next morning they gather the Sanhedrin, they go check the jail and they're like, oh, they're not here. The gates are all locked. The guards are still in place, but they're not here. Oh, in fact, it turns out they're, they're already in the temple courts and they're, and they're preaching and teaching over there. So they go gather them and bring them all in, bring them before the Sanhedrin. They're like, all right, we've told you once, but you're still not gonna, you're still not gonna let, let it go. You know, what's up with this? Um, and, and so you see in verse 27, the, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You have filled Jerusalem Remember earlier it said everyone in Jerusalem was aware of this healing of the crippled man at the temple gate, right? Now the teachings about Jesus have filled Jerusalem. Everyone everywhere is talking about it, about this man Jesus and who he is and what he's done and, and all this kind of stuff. You filled Jerusalem with this teaching. Peter and the other apostles, verse 29, they replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. He's like, you might have told us once. I've told you once too. We're going to obey God. So he says the same thing again, right? The God of our ancestors, who raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. You hear it? Repentance, forgiveness. We are witnesses of these things, he says. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so then... The Sanhedrin's in a bit of a fizz and they're not quite sure what to do. And so they send them out while they can have like a closed door little cordero and figure out, okay, how are we going to handle this now? It's gone too far. And, uh, and, and basically Gamaliel speaks up. He's a respected rabbi. It turns out he was the rabbi of Saul who became Paul and wrote most of the New Testament. So he's a respected rabbi, speaks up and he's like, hey, remember we've seen these kinds of revolutions and uprisings happen before. They've come and they've gone, remember? They rise up, we take out their leader, and then it all just kind of fizzles away. So he says, maybe this is what will happen here. We've already taken care of Jesus. He's no longer on the scene. He's gone, right? So this thing will either just fizzle out and then we'll be good and we'll be back to, or if this thing really is of God, then you'll be fighting against God yourselves. And who wants to be doing that? Seems pretty reasonable, eh? Like rational argument from, from old Gamaliel. And, uh, and so, so they do. They go, okay, we're persuaded by that. Let's do that. So they give them uh, flogging and they send them out. Um, and the apostles, verse 41, left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You see it? The reason why they counted themselves, they, they, they went out rejoicing and counted themselves worthy of suffering is because Jesus had already told them. Look back in Luke chapter 21, verses 10 through 19. Jesus warns them, hey, by the way, you're gonna, you're gonna be thrown in jail you're going to be brought before the leaders. You're going to be questioned. You're going to be, you know, like he, he warned them back in Luke 21. So, he, you know, like, so they already had 
like you gotta you gotta imagine like when they're standing there before the Sanhedrin, like all of this is like playing out in their minds, going, "Oh, Jesus said this would happen, remember?" And then they get they get they get flogged like within an inch of their lives, you know, like thirty nine whips, you know, lashes kind of thing, and, and then they walk out rejoicing. They're like, "Jesus said this was gonna happen," and then it just happened, right? I mean, it would have been bolstering their faith more and more and more. Like, this this just incredible going on. And it increased their faith. And I just think, church, Jerusalem was filled with everyone talking about Jesus. All that He'd said, all that He'd done, and all that He continued to do in their midst through the Holy Spirit at work among them. Is it crazy to think that all of Ototahi Christchurch might be filled with people talking about what they have seen and heard the resurrected and living Jesus doing now and the Holy Spirit at work now among us? Is that crazy to think about? I don't think so. I think it's the biblical pattern. I think it's the biblical expectation for any and every church who signs up under the Lordship of Jesus Christ in any place in the world. And so, I began with the story of the call to plant a church. We call it the well now. And our story has always been to awaken people to experience and express the depth of God's love based on the story in John chapter 4, Jesus and the Samaritan woman transformed through this awakening to the truth of who Jesus was and profound experience of God's love for her that sent her on mission to share that love with the village that she came from and the whole village many says from that village came to know Jesus Lord and Savior and I go man that's that's always been the heart and desire for Christchurch that we would be the kind of people who awaken more fully to the truth of who Jesus is that we'd experience his ongoing transforming love that shapes us and makes us and draws us back to him again and again that we would be with him in such a way that it flows out in an expression of love to others accompanied with words and signs and deeds and acts of love and that that would all just point back to the one who started it all Jesus and when we were discerning and praying about this. I was doing some demographic kind of research and study into Christchurch and New Zealand in particular. And, um, you know, not from here, didn't really know. And back then, this is 2009, 2010, uh, one study I read called New Zealand the most secular English-speaking nation in the world. So there were other more secular, you know, countries around the world, they just didn't speak English. And New Zealand was the most secular English-speaking. I don't know if that's actually true anymore or not, but I reckon it's got to be up there, you know, in the, in the, in the rankings. Um, and that, that, that continues to be true. There are countless people, hundreds of thousands of people in our backyard, church. Hundreds of thousands of people who God has called us to be a witness to, to talk about all that we've seen and heard, to pray for, to bless, to encourage you know, to be an expression of love. And you go, yeah, but uh, I just don't think people want to hear about Jesus anymore. And if I'm honest, that's been a lie. You know, I, I shared last week around my own sense of conviction 
around us as a church. And I believe um, just this over this past week, you know, God's been saying, Clint, you've believed a lie. You've allowed the enemy to gain a foothold that's shifted, not just from thinking the thoughts, but actually to believing it in your heart and in a way that's shaping your life. And that's the lie. Let me just name it. People don't want to know Jesus or need to know Jesus. That is a lie of the enemy. That is not God's word. The truth is that everyone, everywhere, every man, woman, and child in our community, on your street, every man, woman, and child in your school, every man, woman, and child in your workplace or connected to the people in your workplace. Needs to know the truth of who Jesus is. Experience the truth of the gospel in a way that they can understand and grab hold of. Everyone needs him. He is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. And we think that, you know, everyone's so closed and anti, but, um, you know, uh, we were just at conference, like I said, uh, the last couple of days, and there was one of the guys was sharing some recent research from Barna around, you know, particularly post-Christian Western nations around Generation Z. So these are those who are younger than, you know, like 25 and younger, kind of the young, the young ones. Um, you know, maybe some of you, I'm beyond that now. But, uh, you know, the, the, the young ones. So this is like my kids now. And, uh, and, and the research is showing that if you ask them, would you like to know more about Jesus? Would you like to find out who Jesus is? 60% would say, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested. 60%. So while we are, yes, a you know, secular, post-Christian nation, all that kind of stuff, there's a great openness to the gospel, particularly in younger generations of people. We have an opportunity before us, friends, to be witnesses, to talk about all we've seen and heard, to pray and I've been encouraged hearing stories even over this past week who, who participated in the homework from last week to pray for someone you know pray for someone who didn't know Jesus yeah see a few hands yeah yeah it's awesome so good I heard some really encouraging stories this this past week and, and, and like it can be that simple and if you didn't get to do it this past week or you kind of chickened out or whatnot maybe take someone with you you know, you know, if you go for a walk after dinner with your spouse or whatnot you bump into a neighbor and you know look for an opportunity and then you know you got you kind of like agree to it beforehand. Hey, we're going to try and pray for someone. You know, let's see who God brings them for us and, and, and try, try, try it. Just see it. You know, you don't want to be forcing it or anything like that. And, and, uh, or, or if, you know, if, if, if take a friend and, and go for coffee at a cafe and ask God for an opportunity to talk with someone about Jesus or to pray for them. That's simple. Because I think we often sit there and we go, oh, if God brings someone to my door at 8.07 p.m. and if they knock politely not too aggressively and I'll open it and they ask me tell me about Jesus I'll tell them about Jesus you know we put all these conditions like you got to like have the perfect scenario play out before we would be confident enough to share or talk about all we've seen or heard and I just don't think that's biblical friends I see Peter and John and the apostles and all of the disciples all of whom were filled with the Holy Spirit remember the Holy Spirit wasn't just for the apostles it was for everyone so everyone who's ordinary Everyone who's unschooled, everyone who feels like they're not good enough and not equipped enough and whatever, God wants to use you. God wants to use you to talk about all you've seen and heard, pray for someone, see what he might do. And I just think 
it's on God's heart to see many, many more men, women, and children here in our, our patch, our place. Come to know Jesus. Repent. Receive forgiveness of sins. Be baptized. Receive the gift and the filling of the Holy Spirit and be formed into our local church community. So friends, if that's you this morning and you've not actually ever taken that step to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would love to give you that opportunity because that's something we can do this morning. You can repent, receive forgiveness of sins. We're not exactly prepared for baptism right here and now, but we could sort it out pretty quickly. Um, Receive the filling of the Holy Spirit and be formed into a church community, this church community. These are all things that can happen here and now this morning or this afternoon. And we'd love that opportunity. So if that's you, I would love the chance to pray with you specifically this morning. And so in a moment, we're going to receive communion, invite people to come and respond. And if that's you, I invite you to just kind of linger up the front here. We'll come and pray with you and, and have, a, have a chat and uh, talk you through that. We'd love, love to do that. But I also think God, you know, as I was praying, um, you know, about, about this talk and, um, or Bible study, I mean, and, uh, and what God might want to do, um, there were, there were two, other, two other groups of people who I think God wants to minister to this morning. And the first is those who may be like me. You've allowed the lie of the enemy to dominate and shape your mind and your heart towards people who don't know Jesus, believing that they don't want to and they don't need to. And I just believe in Jesus' name, He wants to break that completely. And He wants to replace it instead with the filling of the Holy Spirit and a courageous boldness, not aggressive and pushy and, you know, all that rude obnoxiousness, not, not that. Just a confident, courageous, humble. I think that's what God wants to do.